Hello and welcome to another episode of Copper Bottomed, the genuine and trustworthy look at the copper market. Uh, today's episode is actually about a week late uh, because I was traveling last week. And so this is a review of the week um, starting the 4th of December uh, with the the drill results coming through uh, on the 2nd of December. So um, uh, sorry, I've got a little bit behind. It's just been a kind of a hectic few weeks in the market. But anyway, um, what I really wanted to focus on in just in terms of kind of the macro uh, news for the last couple of weeks is that there are two or three main uh, stories that are kind of just keep coming up, keep bubbling up, keep bubbling up. And so the first one, I'm, I, I've mentioned it almost every week now since it, um, the, the news first broke. But I'm going to talk about uh, Cobre Panama, Minera Panama, and the situation in Panama with First Quantum and that uh, the closure of the mine there. Um, as has been well documented, the government uh, ruled against First Quantum and the coverage of it has been very poor uh, in the worldwide kind of in, in the mainstream media. And um, I've been speaking to some um, employees at the mine and just some friends who are in the uh, in First Quantum and there's a kind of a great deal of frustration that the kind of the real picture hasn't really uh, been coming out. There's been a lot of media bias. Um, it has been brought to my attention that the best article was by the Daily Maverick. Um, there was a journalist called Greg Mills who did a big piece on this. And this photograph is from that uh, document, uh, that fr from that news release. It came out on the 3rd of December, um, I think. Um, and these are the protesters against the mine here. You can see it in this picture. And the, you know, there's a street full of protesters there. The um, the words underneath suggest it's, it was said that this is protesters attending a demonstration to celebrate a court ruling against First Quantum Minerals during Independence Day in Panama City on the 28th of November. The government said it will shut a giant copper mine owned by First Quantum, damping hopes that the company might be able to reach a new deal to keep operating. And that's a Bloomberg Getty um, image. The article by Greg Mills goes Greg Mills goes on to talk about the kind of the political context about it, um, you know, behind the decision, and uh, he goes on to talk about a number of spurious arguments, which are really, really kind of just worth taking on board, such as land use. You know, twenty three percent of Panama's land is used for agriculture, compared to just zero point zero seven percent for mining, and yet that tiny acreage produces 5% of the GDP and 75% of exports. And I mean, it goes on to say the opponents are not really interested in the details or the facts. The arguments against it are deeply immersed in politics. And it it, it just kind of beggars belief that this is going on. I mean, that um, the, later in the article, it, it, um, there's a comment, the mining fiasco will now most likely see the government of Panama having to defend itself in several international arbitration actions if it loses and the signs are there, these could cost the government north of 60 billion, accounting for lost income by the company and its suppliers and investors. I mean, it's tragic, really. They, um, they're closing down. I mean, of the 7,000 employees, um, 70, 80% have lost their jobs. These are local people. They're also international expats that are losing their jobs. It's going to go into arbitration for a long time. In previous weeks, I have said I thought that this was going to be a matter of months, possibly years. The more I read about it, and the, when I look at the parallels of, um, well, you know, what's gone in um, 
in Thailand with that um, with the Chatri gold mine. You know that closed down in 2016 on a very very similar background, not really fact based, very political, um, and that was seven years ago, and it still hasn't opened. So um, I fear that this is going to be off the market for an extremely long time, um, and that's got several several implications. One is it's going to push companies back into um, less risky jurisdictions. Two, of course, it takes 350,000 tons of copper out of the market for the foreseeable future. So that immediately tightens the market. Um, but principally, it's devastating for uh, the employees and for the economy of Panama. It's also terrible for the environment and for the um, for the water. And just if you research what how, um, how um, Minera Panama was looking after the environment. It's planted more trees than it's uh, cut down. It's a tiny area. The water wasn't flowing into the Panama Canal, which is one of the uh, concerns. I mean, just on every single level, it's 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 a tragedy that this mine has um, closed down. But there we go. Oh, one other comment perhaps is that um, in my travels, I was chatting with um, a friend of mine who is a Chilean lawyer. And he's married to a Panamanian. And so he's in and out of Panama a lot. And he was just saying how mining is kind of this hated uh, um, industry in Panama, even though they've got no real experience of it, well, except for the good that it does. So um, he said it's it's completely different to the Chilean mentality or uh, other countries where um, there's just this kind of visceral hatred for it, which I think probably um, contributed to the mouth steps and the kind of disappointing decisions that were reached over the uh, last few months. So um, there it is, Cobre Panama off market for um, out of action for many, many years to come. And it's only going to damage um, Panama, unfortunately. Um, moving on to the other side of the slide and to other news, um, I always read the Goering and uh, Rosenwald research with great interest. They they these are um, contrarian investors. They are um, independent thinkers and investors, and they write these really, really good um, kind of thematic pieces. Uh, the latest one came out was Dr. Jevons, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Demand, and it's a very, very good read. Um, I always find it interesting how concepts come along or words come along. You've never heard of them before, and then suddenly you hear about it three or four times. I've only just recently been reading about Dr. Jevons and this con uh, and, and the concept of when you start consuming um, energy and goods, it always leads on to more consumption of energy and goods. And through a mixture of psychology and efficiencies um, and economic activity, it always kind of, there's a pull factor as well. So you typically don't uh, saturate yourself in terms of demand. You continue to want things as your social um, advancement progresses as a society. Um, it's a fun, it's a really really good read. I recommend you go to their website and download a copy and have a read. It talks about the strength of demand. It talks about um, how everyone's been talking about China slowing down, um, but it also gets into what I think is a crucial uh, aspect of understanding raw materials, which is Demographic, demographic growth. We've got 8 billion people on the planet. 2 billion people have got middle-class lives or better. 4 billion people uh, want to have a fridge and a television and a car, and they are moving that way socio and economically. And that is the time when 
um, that the there is very strong energy demand and there's very strong raw and basic material demand. So um, the Goering and um, <laughs> Rosenwedge uh, report is very pro oil. It's also very um, pro demand growth and all of those drivers. Interestingly, they're very pro the demand of copper, particularly in the short to medium term, but longer term, they've written that they feel that there are very good reasons why the copper market is going to move into surplus in the long run. And they talk about two things. One is they talk about um, Ivanhoe getting proprietary technology in terms of how to do electrical pulse disaggregation and um, deep uh, modeling through geophysics to be able to predict where future copper deposits are. And then the other thing they talk about is um, step change, revolution in hydrometallurgical processing of previously refractory ores. Now, on all of those, and I've, I've been looking at electrical pulse disaggregation um, for for ages. I mean, I did, I did some work on it, goodness me, uh, 15 years ago. And what I can tell you is that it's a really good idea, but it requires quite a lot of energy input. And I don't think it's going to change the way that crushing and grinding is going to um, take place. It works extremely well on small volumes um, where the instead of using the grinding against the compressive, compressive stress of rocks, you actually um, use the um, electrical frequencies to uh, uh, get these different behaviors of minerals to cause a kind of a slight um, jump apart. And it's this called electrical pulse disaggregation. Really, really clever stuff. Works very well on small scale, doesn't work well on big scale. Um, and you need a huge um, energy kick to get, um, to get it done. So um, as for the technologies to look deeper, of course, I think we are going to be using seismic more and deeper modeling techniques through geophysics. Um, but that doesn't mean that the minerals are any easier to get out of the ground. These are all always going to be long lead time, high capital, um, high operating cost. And so it's going to drive the metal prices higher. And it means that if you can find something which is clean and simple and at, um, close to the surface, you're going to uh, be winning. So that's that's um, one thing. And then moving on to the hydrometallurgical uh, revolution that uh, these guys are positing. They say, look at jetty resources, look at all these um, things that are going to happen. I say not so fast. Um, I don't think that Jetty have got uh, the answer. I don't think it's a kind of a, um, a universal and a revolutionary uh, change in uh, the hydrometallurgical processes. There's a fantastic paper um, commissioned by the International Copper Study Group. Um, it was published in 2019. You can see uh, it here. It was prepared by the um, the lead university. Um, the metallurgical um, and engineering department of the University of Conception in Santiago, Chile, kind of the mecca for copper processing. And it, it's a review of the smelting and hydrometallurgy treatment for copper sulfide ores and concentrates, technologies, challenges, and trends. And okay, it's just for copper. And yes, there can be some um, hydrometallurgical um innovation coming through the gold side of things but it's it's a pretty good uh, summary of the state of play and really what it says is that if you, i mean uh, if you look at it you've got it says here in the conclusions uh, the hydrometallurgical route has not been able to come to the market with mature technology 
Several proposals have been tested at the pie level, at the pilot level, but they've been unable to advance an industrial application. Today, only one plant treats copper concentrates by a hydrometallurgical process, Morenci, um, and the operation um, in the States uh, that's owned by Freeport, where very particular and specific conditions allow this operation to work. It goes on to say, the metallurgical performance related to the recovery of copper is for all the proposed hydrometallurgical technologies below the copper recovery of smelters. There's a, there's a very positive uh, take on copper smelting capacity, by the way, in the same paper, and they talk about the progress being made in China in particular, both in terms of cost and environmental um, for impact and efficiencies. Um, back on the hydrometallurgy, it says, uh, the processes analyzed do not have the option to recover precious metals, as smelters do. Um, and then they, and they say, because there's only one operation using a hydrometallurgical process, an energy efficiency analysis is not possible for the different processes. But the crucial thing is that all of these studies have been working at the at the bench level or at the lab scale or possibly at the pilot scale, but they haven't gone through to the the industrial scale. And just look at the the list of them. You've got LifeZone doing pressure oxidation and roasting hydrochloric acid and hydro um, and um, sulfuric acid. You've got the Atalaya Elix electroassisted leaching. You've got uh, uh, more electroassisted leaching. You've got acid and alkaline bio leach. Um, Cuprochlor, you know, all of these different things. These are very, very well-known hydrometallurgical processes. And each time you've got to be able to access the, the, the metal inside the mineral, you've got to deal with clay coatings, you've got to deal with particle uh, grain size, how they behave at different grain sizes, whether they're coarse, whether they're ultra-fine in tailings, dump, um, tailings dumps. You've got to get the kinetic... Uh, dynamics, the, the, the permeability and the porosity flow through there. This is, I assure you, a, a evolutionary process, very site-specific. You cannot, I don't think, apply this universally and say we've got a kind of a, a universal um, evil, a revolution in, in the way that we're dealing with hydrometallurgy. So I expect uh, all of these so-called super results to disappoint in the long term. Um, and I would advise you to adjust your investment strategy accordingly, which is uh, looking for good, clean, simple copper um, projects. And so we go into the week's uh, copper exploration results. This week, is um, we've got uh, six companies reporting, starting off with the mighty uh, Philo. Um, we've got over a kilometer of mineralization, C3 minerals, C3 metals uh, in Jamaica, uh, they've hit 281 meters at 0.51. Ivanhoe, the mighty Ivanhoe. Um, look at those grades, 11.6%. We'll come on to that. Copper Road Resources, um, I, I didn't know this company. 95 meters at 0.51, that's quite a good result. North Isle, uh, 64 at 64, 64.64, that's not bad. Um, and Rupa, 9 meters at 1%. Let's go and see how they presented and see... Uh, what they did with their results. Right, Philo. If you look at their share price, to over $20, market capitalization, $2.8 billion, and their share price, pretty steady. You know, it's 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 a good, um, I mean, since, since in the last two years, what a phenomenal journey. And they continued to pull out these long mineralized holds. Um, so this is the headline. Uh, 
Filo drills 1,014 meters at 1.02 copper equivalent, including 44 meters at 1.81 copper equivalent. Now, you know that we, you can't put out copper equivalents, even the companies as big and as wonderful as Filo is. Um, so they, they released the holes from three holes, 86, 89, and 95. Two of the holes didn't complete and ended in mineralization due to bad ground. So if you look here, um, hole 89, a partial intersection uh, from 136, so nice and shallow, good grade, uh, and it ended at 677 in mineralization. And hole 95, another partial intersection. So it's from 122, for 374 meters at 1.3% copper equivalent, including... Um, some high-grade stuff, and the hole ended just before 500 meters in mineralization. So the only hole that they managed to drill all the way down was um, hole 86, and it's, I mean, it's a corker. So it's 1,000 meters from 400 meters. I mean, these are deep, deep holes. They got some high-grade stuff, 44 meters at 1.81, copper equivalent. Uh, the latter intersection is interpreted to be a new gold-rich up to two grams per ton over two meters, section of the porphyry associated with strong potassic alteration, sheeted quartz veinlets, and copper mineralization as chalcopyrite and bornite. All good, although I really don't like copper equivalent grades. So I then go on to read the um, the comment from Jamie Beck, the president and CEO. He says, the Aurora Zone drilling continues to deliver Holds released here particularly highlight the precious metals rich nature of the deposit. Yes. Um, all three holes tagged high grade silver, and we intersected a new phase of the porphyry in hole 86. Interesting, where we're seeing high grade porphyry style mineralization with unusually high gold grades and copper hosted by a chalcopyrite pyrite bornite assemblage. This intersection is at the northwestern edge of our aurora drilling and demonstrates the significant potential that still exists at Philo to find new styles of mineralization. Quite. Look at that. So they're still finding good stuff. You've got high-grade gold, you've got high-grade silver, and yet, and yet, and yet, I don't like copper equivalents. And then I start fiddling around, and look what I find. Copper equivalent for drill intersection is calculated based on $3 copper, 1,500 gold, 18 silver, 18 ounce silver, dollars per ounce and 80% metallurgical recovery is assumed for all metals okay now I mean you just can't do that because we just don't know what the economics are so even Philo just cannot do that so then I go to the um I went to the technical report and I looked at section 1.11 mineral processing and metallurgical testing and for the oxide it shows that the estimated life of mine metal recoveries of 78% for the copper and 83% for the gold and that's fine and that's where the bulk of the resources are. However they also talk about underneath the oxygen you've got this hypergene mineralization which is kind of it's not the deep sulfides but it's not the oxide it's kind of a, a secondary sulfides um, and hydrothermal sulfides, um, and they say they got 88% recovery of the copper and 80% of the gold from the high-res sample, and 90% of the copper and 75% of the gold from the um, high-CN sample. So then I think, okay, well, what's the difference between the high-res and the, and the high-CN? And then it turns out that the high-CN has got 
uh, a lot of arsenic in it. And this concentrate that the they recovered the gold and the copper from was running 5%, 5.24% arsenic, which is way too high. And then it goes on to talk about additional, additional post-concentrate treatment on the high CN sample successfully evaluated a number of potential options for arsenic reduction using using commercially available technology. And that sm- spells expensive. I mean, that spells pressure oxidation and all kinds of nasty metallurgical, highly expensive treatments. So I'm left with kind of, ah, what do I do? And then, then I went to the resource statement and it said here, sulfide copper equivalent means assumes metallurgical recoveries of 84% for copper uh, and 70% for the gold. So this is the hypogene, which is over here. You've got the sulfide over here and you've got the oxide over here. So you've got three different uh, metallurgical kind of domains. And in the sulfide copper equivalent bit in the, in, the, in the resource, it says these are just based on similar deposits as no metallurgical test work has been done on the sulfide mineralization. And th- this resource just predates the, the pre-feasibility study here. So, Philo, please separate out your gold and your copper and your silver. We need to know how much of this is going to be an arsenic um, domain. So geometallurgical modeling in this deposit is going to be absolutely crucial um, because, as it says in the About Philo del Sol in the news release, there's complex geological history, um, a heterogeneous ore body characterized by zones of high grade within a large envelope of lower grade. But it's not just that as well. You've got different mineralizing styles. So I think it's way, way, way too early to be using copper equivalents. And um, I would suggest that the Toronto Stock Exchange agrees with me. And when I see arsenic in sulfides or in the hypogene, I just don't know how much of the hypogene is arsenic rich. It might be very little. It might be something that's not a problem. But until... um, the metallurgical test work is done or the geometallurgical modeling is done, we just don't know. So for me, this is an element of risk that I've only just realized lies within Philo. So um, I hope that informs you. Right, moving on to C3 Metals. They have been putting out regular news releases over the um, the weeks that I've been doing this uh, copper bottomed. And I quite like it. I quite like it. If you look at their share price, it hasn't really responded very much. You know, their market capitalization is $56 million. Their share price is $0.07. Cents. They're still kind of poddling, piddling along roughly the same um, level that they were uh, two or three years ago. And they do still keep putting out some good results. Um, C3 Metals confirms bornite mineralization at Provost Porphyry at Bellas Gate, Jamaica, Intersects 281 meters at 0.3% copper and 0.21 gold. Thank you for separating that out. Including 62 meters at 0.5% copper and 0.39 grams per ton gold. Thank you for separating that out. As per TSX guidelines. Now, what's funny about this is that they've been quite good in their past news releases about keeping to the point and presenting things clearly. I think they got overexcited here because they the first page of the news release was just so full of information. I've had to cut staff out because they're so keen to share i've um kind of cut quite a lot so um two additional holes uh to date 5200 meters of an 85 8500 program have been done 
assays are pending for multiple holes. That's important because it means that there's more news coming and drilling is ongoing with two rigs. So all of that is good. Companies defining the dimension and the grade of copper gold mineralization in a 900 by 200 meter target area, open in multiple directions and at depth. When it comes to the highlights themselves, hole uh, one intersected this. We've had the grades before um, from 227 meters down. Uh, so it's there. So it's into that that zone there on the on that cross section. Um, what else is a highlight? There's a full transition from pyrite to chalcopyrite um, to bornite. There's some strong potassic alteration with some good grades, and they're going to drill deeper. President and C CEO Dan Simons says, "Oh, this looks like a classic intact copper gold porphyry." Now we. Yeah. Fully intact is quite an interesting phrase because there's um, what you typically want is to be kind of eroded down into the core because if you're not eroded down to the core, then you've got to access it from underground. So that's not necessarily a good thing. However, he does talk about extend extending the copper gold mineralization um, another 150 meters down. The first bornite and potassic alteration was encountered and the ratio of sulfide mineralization transitions um, shows that you're kind of into the heart of a system. So they're going to do a deep hole um, and they've just raised some money. So it's a really good quote. It covers the key things. And then if you look further into the news release, you can see the cross-section, which is um, well presented, and you can see the map showing other target areas. And there's a quite a useful drill summary here. And it says that they've identified 16 porphyry and 40 40 epithermal targets across the 30-kilometer strike extent. Historic drilling was relatively shallow, averaging 225 meters depth, with about 40% of the holes ending in mineralization. The current objectives are to test the strike extent of near-surface mineralization and to test the high-grade potential at depth. They've got two rigs on the go. Um, I think there's going to be some good news out of this. What I don't know is how difficult it is to move rigs around. I imagine uh, Jamaica being lush and very difficult to access, but maybe it's not. Um, they talk about having a manned portable rig, which suggests that there's some pretty steep inclines um, and some rough country. But um, I like it. Yeah, this. I mean, it's it's not on a, on a discovery run when you look at that share price. But I think this could. Uh, I think they're poised for a discovery just because it feels as if the system is kind of quite pumped and there's a lot of there's a lot of smoke here. It may may not come through. I'm going to watch it very closely. Good luck. This is what we need. We need people doing good exploration and and hopefully finding stuff. Right. Ivanhoe. Ivanhoe Mines. My goodness, look at that. Look at that share price chart. That's a five-year chart. Just extraordinary. $15.4 billion, um, $12 per share. Uh, it's been a long, long time coming, but my goodness, haven't they done well? Yet again, they've come out with um, some pretty stellar exploration results. Now this, <laughs> oh my goodness, the Ivanhoe news releases and the ego uh, is just is just unbelievable. And yet, uh, when you actually look at what they're doing, it's, 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 it's pretty, pretty impressive stuff. So I had to cut a lot out of this to be able to even to fit it onto half a, a slide here, reduce the font, keep cutting, and it's still very, very word dominated. But I've, um, they do have a lot to say. So, Kitoko discovery includes 
um, drill hole eight, intersecting five meters at 11.64% copper adult using a, um, there we go. It's the fifth high-grade sedimentary copper deposit in the DRC by Ivanhoe. Mineralogical characteristics of Kitoko are similar to Kakula. Strike of the discovery is 1.9 kilometers and open in all directions. And they've got an expanded drilling program around Kitoko and other areas. So those are the headlines. Then you go into the news release itself. They've made a discovery. It's between 1,000 meters and 1140 meters below the surface. Uh, flat-lying siltstones of the lower Grand Conglomerate. Uh, or it's similar to Kamoa, Kakula, Makoko, and Kiala. Mineralization is bottom-loaded with the highest copper grades occurring at the base of the mineralized zone. Um, the lower section features uh, high-grade chalcosite and bornite, and then it becomes chalcopyrite as you go up into up higher up in the zone. And the current defined mineral zone is trending southwest over 1.9 kilometers of strike with a dip extent of between 600 meters and the mineralization is open in all directions. It's only 25 kilometers west of Kakula and five kilometers south and southeast of Makoko. And it's inside a package of newly acquired joint venture licenses in the Western Foreland. Um, the new package of licenses increases Ivanhoe's prospective Western Foreland position by 10% to 2,654 square kilometers. I wonder if that's the ground held by my mates. It probably is. They're doing well. Uh, let's have a look at it. There's this, there's this really nice cross-section they put in there. Um, this is the basement here, and they've got the various intersections. Five meters just under at 2.6, four meters at 3.6, three meters at 3.5, and here we go, the lower zone, five meters at 11%, and an upper zone of three meters at 3.67. So they just keep doing it. Um, the quote by uh, Robert Friedland was extensive. I've just cut it down to the key bits. Uh, Kotoko confirms the exploration model, 20 years of research uh, in this previously unexplored area. They've got control of a large land package with tier one potential in the same geological domain as um, Kamur Kukula. They call it a dis discovery, um, a turning point for our strategy in the Western Foreland. I think that's probably a bit of a stretch. Uh, he mentions the Labita Rail Corridor, uh, which is going to provide strategic advantages in terms of inbound, outbound, and carbon emissions, all true. Uh, he says the Labito Corridor will dramatically improve the economics of the entire DRC mining industry, true, which is powered primarily by hydroelectricity, true. The Labito Corridor will lower mining cutoff grades and increase the amount of economically recoverable copper that our world desperately needs, true. So there we go. Um, it's interesting. There's a little bit about geology in the in, later on in the presentation. He says the copper mineralization is hosted in the lowest reductant sedimentary layer. And so they talk about the, the deposition of copper occurring in basins where the circulating copper-bearing fluids are focused into sub-basins and shelf edges. So basically, the, your, your fluid kind of um, gets carried along until it hits um, chemically active layer that forces the precipitation out of um, the mineralization. I wouldn't back against um, Ivanhoe. My goodness. The, I mean, the, the power of producing close on 600,000 tons of copper from uh, Kamur Kukula, 
that's a that, that's a hell of a thing. So and they've just increased their um their exploration spend. I think they're spending ninety million dollars a year now in this area. So the, the, this this company's on the march. So um there we go. Right, Copper Road from a fifteen billion dollar company to a three million dollar company. I do despair sometimes. Um, $3 million and you read a news release like this and it just, oh, dear, oh dear. It, it's not inspiring. So it says uh, Copper Road intersects 50 meters of 1% copper equivalent and 95 at Richards Breccia and 95 meters of 0.51% copper equivalent at the Jogren Porphyry. Please don't use copper equivalents. It just doesn't work for, for investors. They talk about the highlights, the trend. The, the JR Zone drill program. Um, it says here, pleased to announce 2023 drill results from its 1,250 meter drill program. Obviously, a tiny program. Only a couple of holes went in, well, maybe four or five, um, which is a really, really small amount for the year. Um, I know it's hard to raise capital, but my goodness, four holes in the year is very, very little. Eight kilometers from the tri-bag zone, which was drilled in 2022. Okay, so um, it says the results from the initial drill program have shown lengthy near-surface intersection of porphyry-hosted copper moly with shorter intersections in the breccia of copper gold. It's true, but you can't see that from the copper equivalent figures. You have to go down deeper into the deposit, into the news release to find that out. Um, it says Richards and Jogran are two of 19 targets in the greater JR zone. Okay, that's fine. Um, the company believes that the JR zone has the potential to deliver multiple larger porphyry and breccia hosted discoveries, possibly. So this is the cross section here, the long section. It's very poor quality on the website and in the PDF. But if you expand, it goes all blurry. There was a better uh, cross section of the breccia. There are actually two on section, which was quite nice to see. I only had space for one, and you can see there's a kind of sub-vertical little breccia zone with some good grades coming through there. But then I went to the porphyry section and I looked at the, the drill grades and these are the copper grades, 0 0.13 over 342 meters. You know, these are 0 0.16, 0 0.1, 0 0.18, 0 0.2, average 0 0.13. Mm. These are really, really, really low grade copper um, grades. And so when you look at the copper equivalent that they produce, which is 0.51, Obviously, it's been carried by something else, which is the molly. So the whole thing leaves me a little bit, um, a bit weary with the copper equivalent emphasis, small market capitalization, the lack of movement on the share price, the small drill rate, drill, drill program. Come on, guys, let's do it. Oh, and then then the final, the fi and then I kind of kept from reading, you know, plowing through to the end of the news release, and they talk about a marketing update. They've had the rocks and stocks news. They've had a head of the herd. They've had Grove Corporate Services. They've been shelling out on marketing all year. You could probably get another couple of drill holes in there, and it's done them a fat load of good. Right, moving on to another company which has a nice-looking share price, you know, on the on the move, North Isle Copper and Gold. I'd never heard of it before. I was surprised to see that it was $66 million market capitalization. And then I looked at the news release, and it's a gold deposit. So I'm not going to talk about it too much other than to say that if you look at this cross-section, you look at these um, copper grades, these are, <laughs> these are grades that copper explorers are producing now in BC, 
in terms of um, in terms of copper, but with much much lower gold grades. So these are being reported. You, you can go to a bunch of companies and find 0.33, copper, 0.15% copper, even as low as 0.8%, 0.8% copper, and they're being reported as copper um, results because the gold grades in those companies is de minimis. It's kind of 0.1 to 0.2s and things. But here, these are actual gold grades. Look at that, 130 meters at 1.65 grams gold. Um, yeah, it really, 70 meters at um, 1.15 grams gold. Yes, they're very close. And down here, it's a little bit lower, 99 meters at 0.39. But um, it just goes to show that um, some of the copper grades coming out recently are incredibly um, low. Right, the last one for the week is Avrupa Minerals. Uh, one look at that share price will tell you, the share price graph will tell you everything you need to know, which is that it's trading by um, appointment that people have given up. The market capitalization will also tell you that people have given up. It's struggling to get traction. And if they keep putting out news releases like this, I can assure you I understand why. Because, oh my goodness, it was one of the most boring news releases I've ever come across. Really struggled to make my way through it. This is the, just the, the front page, and I can't see anything really of kind of note on here other than the fact that they've done a joint venture with uh, Matza, uh, Minas de Aguas Tenidas. I, you know, to find this intersection of 9.2 meters and 1.2% copper, you have to go right, right, right into the middle of the news release. I did get there eventually um, because I was looking for it. But um, I can see why it's uh, trading at $2 million. So, Avrupa, please, focus on what's important. Uh, the, the news release reads like a monthly report by a geologist to another geologist uh, rather than an update for investors. Um, so, lots of room for improvement, shall we say. Uh, uh, could do better. Uh, thank you very much, and I hope you enjoyed this week, and I will be back shortly with um, another episode of Copper Bottomed in a few days' time. Thank you very much.